This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome and thanks so much for being with us. These have been very disturbing days of late. The death of George Floyd was the match through which the left has triggered the riots and the looting and murders. And it's all about systemic racism, isn't it? Even though these same radicals pathologically ignored the black lives who became murder statistics in the midst of all this violence. And the lawlessness continues in the autonomous zone in Seattle. And in addition, we're now hearing about a shooting in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as dozens of historical statues are being torn down by cultural Marxists across this nation. They say this is all about black lives, but we know at root that it is not. It's about Marxism. So we're going to talk about it today with the Reverend Melvin Tinker. He's an Anglican priest at St. John's Newland Hall in England and a popular speaker and author of many books, including That Hideous Strength, How the West Was Lost. He has just written a great piece over at virtueonline.org called What Has Marx to Do with Minneapolis? Observing quite accurately that with these riots, both here and in Europe, we all now find ourselves in the Orwellian world of cultural Marxism. And Reverend Tinker, so good to have you on with us again. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's a delight to be with you today, Janet. So thank you for inviting me on to your show. Oh, always a pleasure. What was your first reaction? Obviously, you're over in Great Britain, but you saw the news, no doubt, about the riots, the chaos in Minneapolis, and later it came to your nation. But what was your first reaction when you heard about it? Well, well, obviously, like with many people, um, you know, shock and horror at what happened to George Floyd and the way he was treated. Yes. No, no one has, has, has um, defended that at all. And uh, those responsible will no doubt be brought to justice, and that's correct. But I, 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 to be honest, I've never seen anything like it with the, the violence and the sheer um, derangement, basically, of, of, of crowds. Uh, in the United States, where 500 um, shops have been destroyed in Minneapolis and, and so on. And I can't think of any time in, in my lifetime of seeing anything like it. Even when one goes back to, say, the, um, the civil rights um, marches under, under Martin, Martin Luther King and so on in the 60s, early 60s, there was nothing compared to this. Right. Um, and then uh, the uh, Vietnam disturbances and so on. There's nothing like it, and it, it just looked like revolution. I mean, the, the only way one can describe it is very similar to to what happened um, in, well, what, historically, I, I think is very similar to, to what happened with the French Revolution in 1789 and the sheer terror that was unleashed. Uh, and I couldn't believe this was the United States of America. Um, because you know, the, the great lead nation uh, that uh, carried out the wonderful experiment, which for many years worked, you know, the, the great melting pot. Yeah. Um, and, and to see such anger and such uh, division, um, it, it was just quite extraordinary. And then for that to be transferred over into this country, mm. it, 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 it just baffles the mind. Well, it it does. I can see why it has happened. 
Yeah, and it is very shocking. I think there were some over here who said, why are they rioting in England? George Floyd isn't in England. We don't understand this. And quickly, people put the George Soros connections together and the Black Lives Matter, which is a Marxist revolutionary queer movement, and said, wait a second, this was all pre-planned. They were just looking for that match to strike. So they had an excuse. That's absolutely right. You see, it seemed to me that what we have, both in your country and ours, is, is the perfect storm for the uh, radical Marxists. Um, first of all, you, you have the whole uh, business of fear. Uh, a, a good writer, uh, Douglas Murray, uh, has pointed out that with the case of social justice campaigners, uh, what they do is they, they, don't, they don't want to heal, they want to divide. They, want, they don't want to placate, they want to inflame. Um, and they work out that if they can't rule society uh, or pretend to rule it or, and, and try and collapse everything, um, then what you do is take a society which is aware of its faults and although imperfect, is a lot better, a better option than anything else on offer. So what you do is sow so doubt and division and animosity and fear. Now, the thing is, we already have fear at the moment because of the COVID-19 crisis. So there's a high level of anxiety around. Secondly, there's a lot of frustration, uh, mainly due to the lockdown Mm -hmm. and perceived hypocrisy by those in power uh, who don't always keep to the rules themselves. And then thirdly, a fair amount of anger and resentment uh, from the liberal elite. Now that's happened in America because Trump became the president and and they they still can't get their heads around that. Yes. In the United Kingdom, it's that Brexit happened. And they can't get around that. And so there's a lot of anger and resentment. Those three come together. You have a cause celebre in the case of George Floyd. As you said, it's, it's the uh, blue uh, paper that's been lit. And then the radicals move in, and uh, in this case, under, under the guise of Black Lives Matter. Uh, they're not bothered about black lives. Uh, they're really not. Uh, because when you look at their, their website, their aim is simply this. They put it down, dismantle imperialism, Capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, and the state structures. No mention about the the needs of black people. Sure. It's a purely Marxist organization, which is hypocritical and cynical. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't care about the black lives that were affected by what they're doing on the ground. We see all these black-owned business owners on video, on social media, really upset and pointing at their stores and saying, wait a minute, I thought this was about black lives. Or police officers like David Dorn shot in cold blood. They don't care about David Dorn. They didn't have a big processional for David Dorn that aired on CNN. They don't care about David Dorn. No, not not at all. So the, the, the rage is faux rage, it's pretended rage. Yes. Um, and with the sheer, again, I, I'm, I want to just uh, try to understand this and, and, and come to terms with it, but to be talking about defunding the police, for instance, who will suffer the most when that happen, if that happens, and is happening, of course, um, with uh, Belosi and so on, taking about £5 billion out and giving it to community funding and so mm. on. Uh, the black people and the poor people will be the most vulnerable and they will be the ones who will be most exploited. It is a dreadful and cynical situation. It is. What does it have to do with Marxism? And, and you've written on this extensively. And you do a fantastic job in this article. But if you can boil it down, what is it about the Marxist worldview that underlies all of this rage and chaos? Well, it, it's, 
um, it comes back to the, the notion of cultural Marxism. And um, so it's not like, as we're classical Marxism, in terms of we, we have big revolution, you know, you, you storm the... Uh, you know, the, the, the uh, Houses of Parliament or whatever it may be, or, or the White House, and you plant the red flag, and, 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 and it's been, it's not like that. Um, it, it's much more of a subtle um, er- erosion. And going back to a man called Gramsci, uh, who talked about this idea of, of a hegemony, that is, that uh, a dominant class exerts and maintains its influence through non-coercive means, that is, they get into the schools, they get into the media, they get into the marketing, and dominate those things, in which case they can then shape people's thinking and minds as to what is acceptable, what is normal, and what is common sense. Um, now, whereas in classical Marxism, the, 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 uh, with, with Marx, it was basically saying, look, there's a, there's, a, there's a class struggle going on between the workers, the proletariat, and the bourgeoisie. But um, cultural Marxism takes that step further and saying, no, 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 it's much more complicated than that. Uh, and what we've got to do, two, two, there are two um, uh, scholars in particular called Laclau and Mouffe uh, who say what we've got to do is to recognize, we've got to bring together the diverse groups who are engaged in their own struggles. You've got the urban group, the ecological, you've got the feminist, you've got the anti-racist and sexual minorities. <laughs> And we've got, to, we've got to persuade these people that they are victims, they are underprivileged in some way, um, and they, they need to, to, to um, recognize that they are powerless. Oh, right, yeah. And, and they need to, 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 to come together. And this is the idea of um, uh, identity politics. That's right. Hang on just a moment. We do need to pause for a quick break. The Reverend Melvin Tinker with us. What does Marx have to do with Minneapolis? We'll come back on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. A gift of $22 will provide one ultrasound, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 
855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Great to have you with us and great to have with us the Reverend Melvin Tinker. Wonderful article he has over at virtueonline.org. What has Marx to do with Minneapolis? And Reverend Tinker, as we were discussing what's been going on in the streets of not only the United States, but also over where you are in the United Kingdom, this poll just came in from Gallup showing that American pride among the nation's youth is at an all-time low. You have only 20% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 29 saying they're extremely proud to be American. And if you go up to 65 and older, it's 53%. So this is also the erosion of the love of country and the love of the West and the love really of the biblical foundations of our country that have informed our documents and our freedoms and our liberties. This is all tied together, isn't it? It it is, because part of the the socialist strategy, the cultural Marxist strategy, uh, as I mentioned earlier on, is to sow doubt um, and you, you, you've got to sow doubt, well, a number of things. First of all, um, you, you propagate the myth that capitalist societies are inherently racist, sexist, homophobic, whatever it may be. It's part and parcel of what it is. And therefore, you've got to bring it down in, in, in some way. And uh, one of the things you do is to rewrite history. Uh, you um, you basically uh, try to um, create create a, um, a view of your own country, your own past, of which you are ashamed. Hence, all this business about uh, in, our, in, in, uh, in Britain anyway, um, we're pu- pulling down the, the statues of anyone yeah. who is considered to be racist or had anything to do with the slave trade. Yeah. And, and so we become thoroughly ashamed, and we, we, therefore you have certain white groups or whatever it is uh, begging for forgiveness, this idea of uh, white privilege or whatever privilege we may have. Yeah. And so uh, what, what um, then happens is that people will become ashamed. We think, oh, goodness me, we're, we're terrible, we're awful, what, what we did. Now, of course, it's a myth. It's a, it's a distorted picture uh, because you've got to ask the question, okay, compared to what? You know, one, um, uh, critic- they, they criticize the United States or they criticize the United Kingdom because we, have the, we had an empire, whatever it may be. Okay, well, compared to what? We haven't done too badly, you know. Uh, are you comparing this to Russia or China or North Korea or Iran? <laughs> Which country is much better than ours for all our faults? And, and, and we've got to make improvements. Right. Yeah. Um, and they're so selective. They're so selective. Uh, for instance, the whole business of slave trade. Uh, I mean, I, I live in Hull, okay, and William Wilberforce came from here, and he was involved in the abolition of the slave trade. Sure. When it was abolished in 1833, the, the, the British government paid 40% of the treasurer's annual income to 
previous uh, to, to compensate uh, trade uh, slave owners. Wow. Okay, that's equivalent to 100 billion pounds today, about mm. 150 200 billion dollars. That's how bad we were. Mm. You, it was incredibly generous. We also uh, had a fleet which cost a lot of money and lives to intercept uh, slave traders. Um, uh, the West, it's called the West African um, uh, fleet. Um, and that was out of our taxpayer because we we're totally committed to this. You compare that to Islam. And people don't talk about the Islam uh, slave trade. Yes. Because up by 1600, there were more than 7 million Africans transported to slavery by Muslims. Exactly. But, exactly. You know? Um, so it's a very distorted thing, and it's a shame. But we're not surprised because the people who are teaching history in the high schools and the universities in your country and mine are liberals by and large. Mm-hmm. And so they are, they are propaganda, they're putting forward their um, Marxist propaganda. So people are not being taught what I consider to be proper history. Well, and it's you very know, imbalanced. Yeah, it is. And you know, one of the things that I've noticed, Richard Pipes, many people may be familiar with him. He's a historian of, of the old Soviet Union. And I was looking through a concise history of the Russian Revolution again. Uh, and one of the things that was pointed out right at the outset was the influence of the intelligentsia. And that so much of the idea, or I would say the ideology uh, mm. that preceded the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917 was driven by academics and people who yeah. thought that the peasants didn't really get it. And so, you know, I thought that's, oh, that's right. That's true. Yeah. And the same over here. And, the, and, and then if there's any blacks, uh, you know, and we got, we've got about 50, 60 you know, black um, folk in our congregation. We love them to death. And we're one in Christ. Um, but... Um, you know, they, 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 but, but if they don't get it, well, it's because they've been basically uh, brainwashed. They, they become white on the inside, as it were. That's what they, they say. Wow. Um, and it's only the intelligentsia, of course, who, who know everything, how people should think and how they should behave. Right. Um, and now, of course, it goes beyond trying to, uh, um, beyond this, the, as were, the simple education level at a colleges and universities and uh, high schools but now it's it's, it's through uh, through the media through uh, bias reporting which we have over here with the bbc um it, it's very difficult to get any decent um, unbiased objective news anymore i agree that is a huge problem and and having been in journalism for years before i was doing this job it bugs me more than probably the average bear because that was something that was just hammered into my head in journalism school as fairness and be balanced and tell both sides of the story and don't insert yourself into your stories and that's just long gone now when you read most of what's being printed today on the internet or otherwise so but also look at what happened to you know the new york times oh, liberal yes, liberal yes and, um, you know, one of the editors who publishes someone who dissents with Black Lives Matter, he's sacked. And what is, it, it seems to me what has happened now, especially in your country, is that the 1960s liberals are being devoured by their uh, radical grandchildren. Yes. Yes, there's a purge now. There's beginning to be yeah. a purge. Boy, I tell you, it's scary. And for a lot of Americans, at least, you'll hear the question, kind of, you know, an innocent puzzlement saying, what do they want? 
I mean, they, they arrested the police officer who lay down on George Floyd's neck. They arrested the other three who sat there and didn't intervene. The justice system, the wheels are in motion. So they continue to riot. What, what does that have to do with setting up a six square block autonomous zone in Seattle? What does that have to do with, you know, tearing down statues across the United States? And you say this goes back to the cultural Marxist ideology that says we have to stay in perpetual conflict, which is unthinkable to us. We want peace. Yeah, but they don't want peace. What they want is utopia. Well, you look at the price of utopia. Look at Stalin's Russia. That's utopia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what, and, and similar, as I said before, with the, with the French Revolution, the Madame Guillotine, that's what happens. That's the utopia. Yeah. Basically, they want to, what you have in the middle of Seattle with the autonomous zones, they want the whole of the United States to be that. And it's purely destructive. I mean, from a Christian point of view, behind it is demonic, of course, because yes. the devil is the, the great uh, <clears throat> the father of lies and the great destroyer. Uh, Apollon, he, he, and, 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 and it's, the, the thing is, what we're trying to do is to look at it rationally, you know, and people asking, well, what do they want? Reasonable people will ask that. There's no reason here. It's a madness. Correct. And ultimately, demonically inspired madness um, with some very clever people, but some very vicious and cynical people. And people need to wake up to that. They will not be satisfied with anything less then then the 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 uh, the breakdown of society right well and then they will be able to move in and they will be brutal well they will be brutal. That, that's right and and as you know this week in the united states we just had a very big supreme court decision handed down that had the supreme court making law and deciding that sex is equal to sexual discrimination, uh, sexual orientation and gender identity as far as protected classes under federal civil rights law, which is going to have horrendous implications for the church. There's no doubt. Making a lot of Christians say, is this judgment? Is this God's judgment, ultimately, that we're back in a Habakkuk sort of situation? How do you come down on that question? Well, I, um, yeah, I think there is an element of, there is an element of judgment in it. I mean, I think it... Um, it comes in sort of two ways, really. I mean, one is that when we see um, society, individuals, groups, turn away from God's way, invariably, you move away from reality, you move towards chaos, everything starts to unravel. So that's partly what we're seeing. But also, um, it's, if you like it, I think a sort of, the way I put it, it's a bit of a, an echo from the future hmm. when you read 2 Peter 3. Yeah that what we see, what will happen when Christ comes, there will be a disillusion of everything. Right. And there's going to be judgment. Right. And right. so what we're experiencing in, in some ways now is a bit of a foretaste of what is going to come ultimately, and then Christ will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. Um, as well as being a consequence of the fall and, and, and following our fallen desires, basically that we want to be God. Well, we see what happens when people want to be God. Right. You end up with your Stalins, and you end up with the Mao, and you end up with the autonomous zones in the middle of Seattle. Yeah. And it is a, an ugly, scary thing. And I don't know how the police are managing in your country, because if I was a policeman in, in the States, I'd be so disillusioned and demoralized. Uh, you, you're putting your life on the line every day. You're trying to help people as much as possible. Of course, there are bad apples in everything. Right. And then... For those to, who, to whom you're responsible, 
will then say, well, actually, you're not doing a good job. We're going to take away your money. We're going to make your life even more miserable and more vulnerable. I don't know how they're going to cope. Well, a lot of them are leaving. That's a really important point. And I was speaking about that just recently, uh, uh, an essay that's gone viral from a Tulsa police officer saying exactly what you're talking about. America, you're getting what you wanted, but you know, mm. we who have protected and served you are getting so discouraged and disillusioned that a lot of us are going to quit because why in the world would we li- risk our lives when we're being treated like this? And it's just another indication that cultural Marxism is a force for destruction. Go to virtueonline.org. What has Marx to do with Minneapolis? by the Reverend Melvin Tinker. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Reverend Tinker, for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you again. Oh, God bless you. Thanks again. We'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. I want to talk a little bit about the section of Seattle now referred to as CHOP, because I guess CHAZ wasn't doing it, C-H-A-Z, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. I don't know, they didn't like that. So now they're CHOP, Capitol Hill Organized Protest. Is that what it is? And they really talk about this area of Seattle, which has been walled off by a bunch of anarchists, as being just a very peaceful place. Yeah, it's just like a garden. In fact, I think they're planting gardens there to try to get some food while they hold up signs asking people to bring donations. Those evil capitalists that they you know, condemn with every fiber of their body. Those, those capitalists come in really handy when they need stuff. And so the irony is not lost on those of us who have our minds turned on. At any rate, one of the people who has done a lot of good reporting and, in fact, was really first to expose Antifa or Antifa or whatever you want to call him. We'll call him Antifa. Andy No, And he has been on the ground in Portland. He was beaten up by Antifa when he was Antifa when he was out there in Portland. And he has continued to do on the ground reporting about what went on. He just appeared on Fox News at night with host Shannon Bream and talked a little bit about what he's seen, not so much during the day at CHOP, but at night, because this is the part of the story you're not being told. This is cut one. The autonomous zone can be described as a sort of uh, um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in that um, you see... Uh, during the day, yes, it's very peaceful. Families come there, people come there with their pets. Um, and it's peaceful if you can ignore all the boarded up businesses, all the graffiti calling for the murder of police. Yes, that's peaceful. Then at night, uh, you see the criminal elements come out. Uh, unfortunately, last night, that was made very clear when one person on a microphone and a loudspeaker was able to sick a mob of probably more than 100 people to chase down uh, this business uh, that was several blocks away. They just all descended on it. It was pure anarchy. They pushed up against the fence and all rushed in. Uh, it could have been extremely violent. Fortunately, it wasn't. Uh, according to what I heard from the owner and staff, they had detained uh, one of the comrades of this camp for alleged arson and, and theft. And because of that, uh, all his 
comrades came to help get him out. Uh, police mm. never came. Well, that's interesting. Why would the police come? They don't want the police. They want to get rid of the police. That's what you have to do when you're taking control of any area. You want to get rid of the people who are going to hold you accountable under the law. They don't want any law. They don't want the United States, at least the United States that they grew up in, that made them the people that they are today, or so they would say the evils of America created who they are today, when in fact it was the people within this country, in academia and in the media, those who will embrace cultural Marxism, who have influenced these young minds. And going back to that Gallup poll that I mentioned earlier with Reverend Tinker, you have such a small number of the youth of America, 18 to 29, saying they're proud to be Americans. Why would they be proud to be Americans? America's evil. Yeah, drop them in Iran for six months. Drop them in North Korea for two weeks. I I think they would see America through new eyes. It's just incredible. The Daily Beast says that the local businesses outside CHOP or in CHOP just love CHOP, this Capitol Hill organized protest zone in Seattle, what about the businesses? Annie No answers that question. Cut to. Sure, there are some businesses whose owners or management may be sympathetic to what's going on and have liked what's happening, but there are others who don't. For example, there's a Trader Joe's nearby who announced just a few days ago that they're closing indefinitely because of security and safety issues. So when you take that and you also see all the businesses that are boarded up that no cars can drive into this area. Um, I don't see how the few anecdotes of positive experiences of some owners could be the representative voice, particularly when there are now some dissident voices coming out to speak and they're having to do it um, anonymously because of threats of retaliation. Well, that's pretty scary. Now, this is interesting. The police chief has claimed, oh, we're doing the best that we can. And when there are real terrible crimes, we we are really concerned about that. But this was the report from the Daily Caller. This is an anonymous person talking about what's really going on, followed by more discussion on Fox. Listen to cut three. For the first time in my life in Capitol Hill, I hear gunshots every single night. And I've heard people screaming every single night outside. And uh, they're not protest screams. I've heard protest screams. But I've also heard like screams of terror out there, and I don't know what's happening out there. Uh, He mentions gunshots. Uh, Andy, what are you seeing? What are you hearing with respect to people who are bearing arms? Are they doing so legally? What do you know about the claims he's making? You see a lot of people openly carrying weapons. It can be handguns, rifles, batons, or even knives. And there's quite a lot of open drug use as well. At night, it's a completely different vibe than during the day. You see vagrants come there. Some of them are dealing with mental and health crises. There was an ambulance that was called yesterday. Um, that The fact that police are not going in should tell you quite a lot. And this is what my own sourcing had told me last week, is that if anybody needs help, you actually have to leave the physical zone mm-hmm. and return to the U.S., let's say, to get help. So um, this is a now a one-week experiment in anarchy and chaos, and those who live there have to fend for themselves. And again, this is what they want to do across the country. How would you like to live in a city like that? How do you think the people in Seattle feel about this? Well, a lot of them are supportive because a lot of people in Seattle are nuts. They're so far gone, they think this is fine. 
And let's support it, including the politicians. It's a wonderful leftist paradise, except it won't turn out like paradise. Now, let me just give you an example of how this kind of stuff is enabled. Over at NBC, as reported by Newsbusters, they did this report on NBC Nightly News, Lester Holt anchoring this. And you got to listen to the contrast between the way they talk about the autonomous zone in Seattle and the way they talk about the upcoming Trump rally that's planned in Tulsa. Listen first to the report from NBC on CHOP. This is cut four. In Seattle this evening, protesters continue occupying part of the city and demanding police reform. Jolene Kent is there with late details. Seattle is on edge. Protesters showing no signs of leaving this six-block area after taking it over a week ago. Now festive, crowded, and peaceful, demonstrators pitching tents and planting gardens this weekend in the newly renamed Capitol Hill Occupied Protest. We're here in peace and solidarity for a cause that needs to change. Their demands? Reduce funding for the Seattle Police Department, invest in the black community, and release arrested protesters. Wow, it sounds like a a wonderful paradise, doesn't it? It's festive, it's crowded, it's peaceful. Pay no attention to those gunshots ringing out at night, folks. It's just festive. Now, contrast this with how NBC covered the upcoming Trump rally in Oklahoma, complete with the COVID panic scolding that the Seattle story didn't get. Listen to Cut 5. It comes as President Trump is eyeing a return to his favorite stage, those massive campaign rallies now set to relaunch at an indoor arena in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Saturday night. We expect to have, uh, you know, it's like a record-setting crowd. We've never had an empty seat, and we certainly won't in Oklahoma. He says to accommodate ticket requests, they'll fill the 19,000-seat arena and a convention hall next door, the type of gathering the CDC classifies as highest risk of spreading coronavirus. And just as Tulsa's public health director says, it's too soon for this size of a crowd. My preference would be that that uh, it'd be postponed until it's safe to actually have an event um, where people can come together and be a part of the, the political process. Coronavirus cases and deaths are low in Oklahoma, but the numbers are now rising. The president's campaign manager tonight announcing that all attendees will get a temperature check, hand sanitizer, and a mask. But it's not clear whether they'll be required to wear it. Now, if you had to analyze those two news pieces, which side do you think that NBC is on? The Trump rally is a big problem because of COVID. But if you are out as a leftist rioter, somebody who's violent, somebody who's done something completely lawless in the city of Seattle, it's festive, it's crowded, and it's peaceful. But the Trump rally, it's reckless because they might not wear masks. Oh, okay. So you have Bill de Blasio, the committed progressive mayor of New York City, going and locking up a playground for the Orthodox Jewish community, but then says, don't ask when you're doing contact tracing whether or not people have been involved in leftist protesting. Yeah, there's no ideology at work here. None at all. Come back with us. We're going to take a break on Janet Meffer today.
The Ministry of Preborn is dedicated to helping save preborn babies from abortion through ultrasound, and even in this time of national crisis, preborn is there. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn. No college classes and sheltering in have led to an explosion of unplanned pregnancies. Women are panicked about their pregnancies and wanting to abort. Our crisis line is the busiest it's ever been. Here's Catherine, one of our crisis line operators. Girls are scared and often seeking abortion as an easy way out. Girls are often desperate being pregnant in this pandemic. With your help, we are able to be here for them. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Call 855-402-BABY. Thank you. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. All right, we're playing catch up a little bit, but I saw this story. I, I've seen a bunch of stories. We, I was on hiatus a few days last week for vacation, so we're playing catch up on some of these stories. But last week, there was a story in Christianity Today. It was one of the most pathetic things they've ever printed, and that's saying a lot, because we're talking about Christianity Today here, folks. They published a piece in which an argument was made that we don't know whether or not society will pay reparations to the black community for slavery, so the church should do it. And it was framed as biblical restitution. And we should form all these Zacchaeus funds because Zacchaeus, when he came to know the Lord, made restitution to those whom he had defrauded. Okay, what? So now this is how insane it's getting. Uh, The church needs to hand over the cash. And I said a little bit cynically, a little bit tongue in cheek. Okay, Christianity Today, I guess this means you're going to fire all your staff and liquidate all your assets and empty your personal bank accounts and put your homes on the market and give up everything to pay the reparations, uh, uh, sorry, biblical restitution to the black community for what again? Oh, because you were a slave owner. Oh, no, 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 you weren't. Uh, because you were one of the cops in Minneapolis. No, that wasn't it either. No, it, it's just virtue signaling. It's all it is. So, so this brings me to this story from the Christian Post. And I don't mean to be facetious here, folks. I, I care very much about real racism. I care very much to make the point again and again, but I think everybody knows, you know, we all as Christians value every life because God has created us and we're all going to be in heaven together, those of us who are one in Christ Jesus. So it's a non-issue to me. At any rate, 
Christian Post reports now that two dozen evangelical scholars have released a joint statement condemning racism as contrary to the evangelical gospel and acknowledging the realities of racism that existed throughout evangelical history. The new evangelical statement on the gospel and racism was released as nationwide protests continue in the wake of the killing of George Floyd in Minnesota and just days after the controversial killing of Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta. Okay, well, those two things are not analogous, but anyway. Today's situation, the document reads, requires more than a statement, but certainly no less than a statement. So what is this statement all about? Oh, I'll read it to you. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Today's situation, as I read, requires more than a statement, certainly no less than a statement. As evangelical academic voices, we condemn racism as contrary to scripture and to the evangelical gospel. Evangelical history includes positively many voices for justice and pioneers of abolitionism, such as William Wilberforce, but also negatively those who assimilated the values of their surrounding unjust culture. Yet the basis of evangelical faith is scripture, climaxing in the good news of Jesus Christ. And the bullet points, this is kind of short, but it's in the gospel, everyone must come to God on the same terms, in reconciling Jew and Gentile in Christ, surmounting a barrier that God himself once established. God in Christ summons us to surmount every barrier erected merely by human sinfulness. Scripture does not discriminate by color. And on the most common understanding of Acts 8, the first Gentile convert may have been black and from Africa. Why does that matter? I mean, like we know this. Jesus, both by his example and by his teaching, summons us to serve and love fellow believers to the point of laying down our lives for them. Are you going to take a knee too? Because BLM tells you to take a knee? Because that's what a lot of people are doing. And you had a number of evangelical leaders who have said not a peep about their churches still being shut down, but they were sure telling their congregations, come on out and march with BLM. Come on, let's go. We did. Ed Stetzer did it. The guy, you know, Wheaton College. And and you had, you know, formerly with Lifeway in the Southern Baptist Convention, David Platt, who is a big wig in the Southern Baptist Convention, his church. Oh, come out and march this afternoon on the Lord's Day. March against racism. Look, I, I, I don't even know what to say to this, except, wow, this is really bold and brave. How many times have these same people condemned racism? Which is fine, but how many times do you have to do it? Every time the left goes out on the streets and scares everybody. Oh, okay, okay, let me say it again. Why do you have to keep saying it? Why do you have to keep saying the same thing over and over? And I made the observation that I don't understand who you're doing this for. It's virtue signaling to say scripture condemns racism. I don't know of a single Christian, a single church, a single denomination, or a single seminary in this entire country that believes that racism is okay according to the word of God. So who are you doing this for? Is this unclear? Has this never been stated before? What bugs me about it is that it is done, I think, as a virtue signaling effort that is provoked by a desire to please the world and really a desire to bow the knee a little bit, just a little bit, because we know, not because of the genuine protesters, but because we know what the Marxists and the rioters and the looters are really trying to do, and that's destroy the United States. And I would like to know why in the world the Evangelical Theological Society has not first put out a statement that condemns what is going on in this United States of ours that would undo this country. Where's your statement on that? I don't care if you want to put out yet another statement condemning racism. Fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But it would take actual guts to condemn what's going on. We condemn the Black Lives Matter movement that was started by Marxists and 
people in the LGBT community who are trying to leverage this false identity politics of intersectionality in order to deconstruct the United States and dismantle it. And it's done through rioting and it's done through looting and it's done through murdering people like David Dorn, the black life who mattered as much as anybody else and is ignored. Why don't you make that kind of a statement? Why don't you come out and actually be brave? Because they're too busy out there marching. They're too busy out there bowing the knee, even if they're not literally doing it. They don't want anybody to think that they're racists. But does anybody really think you're a racist? And as yesterday... On the show, I said, and I had mentioned in regard to Dan Bongino's comments about what cops go through and and what happened with Rayshard Brooks, he said, no matter what you do, the temperature never comes down. See, that's the real kicker of the whole thing. You can submit and submit and submit and submit, and it doesn't make any difference. Have we not figured this out yet? So why are you submitting some more? Because somebody wanted to virtue signal. In the meantime, you have another project, and I'm, I'm very heartened to see this. Uh, this is from the National Center for Public Policy, and, it, and it's good. It's really, really good. Declaring that left-wing anti-police protesters are on a broader quest to demonize traditional American values. Prominent conservatives have now joined with the Conservative Partnership Institute in an open letter to President Trump and Congress emphasizing the importance of the rule of law in preserving American exceptionalism. Well, praise the Lord. The letter notes America's foundation in the rule of law and that there can be no justice and there can be no peace or prosperity without it. Citing the tragic death of George Floyd and the blame that has been put on the police as an institution, it warns that to politicize those rare abuses to sow division, to undermine and destabilize the United States, and to use the coordinated chaos they create to force their agenda on suspecting Americans, they should say unsuspecting Americans, is unacceptable. And it was signed by leaders of the Free Enterprise Project, the Project 21 Black Leadership Network, people like Dr. Carol Swain and Bishop E.W. Jackson, Star Parker and some others. The letter states that radical leftists stoking anti-American sentiment are given cover in their exploits by supportive politicians, a compliant media and willing corporations. And yet the radicals operate with an inconsistent agenda. The fact is that the far left radicals burned and looted American cities in the name of a slogan with which virtually nobody disagrees, of course, Black Lives Lives matter, but an uncontroversial slogan is not the true message of those who seek to use violence and unrest for their own purposes. The fact that the riots, mayhem, and killing of innocents by mobs continued after all four officers involved in George Floyd's tragic death were charged with crimes makes clear that this isn't about George Floyd. So this letter came out and all sorts of great people signed it. And you can go look it up on the Internet and find it and look at all the names here. Some some wonderful people with you know who I think the world of, you know, Ed Meese and Tom Fitton and Diane Black and Star Parker as I mentioned before, and, you know, Sheriff Clark, uh, David Clark, wonderful from the Crime Research Center and some other Alan West, some others as well. This is so necessary and needed. And I'm thinking, why are the evangelical leaders doing this? As the church, they're too busy virtue signaling and condemning racism for the 300 millionth time, which like we got it. OK, you've passed umpteen resolutions at the Southern Baptist Convention and the president elect of the Evangelical Theological Society, ironically, is Dr. Al Mohler of the Southern Baptist Convention, who refused to sign the statement on social justice and the gospel, which came out a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I guess he had made a remark to the effect that he doesn't really sign statements until this one. 
whatever. You know, people can do what they want, but it just seems to me that there is a vacuum in leadership. There's a vacuum of biblical conviction that desperately needs to be shown right now. There are a lot of Christians who are stressed out by this and really are fearful for their country and the future of this great nation. And they see this kind of stuff and they say, who's going to speak the truth? So I really salute these conservatives who came out and, and put this letter out to President Trump. God bless you. This is the letter that needs to be written. This is the letter that needs to be submitted. And shame on evangelical leaders who are too scared, in my opinion, to speak the truth. I hope that you'll change. I hope that you'll realize this is a very critical moment to not have no spine. We'll leave it there. Thanks so much for being with us on Janet Mefford today. We will see you next time. God bless. God bless.